Good morning. So as Mira introduced me, I'm a deacon here at Forefront and a small group coach. My name is Don Torrance, and I'm really excited to be preaching here this morning. This is my first official time preaching at Forefront. So like Juby, I'm going to ask that you don't throw any tomatoes or your Thanksgiving leftovers at me while I'm talking. Um, I've been thinking a lot about gratitude this Thanksgiving season and how my gratitude leads me to thanks. And... To get started, I want to go all the way back to my childhood when every Thanksgiving we would have all the family over to my house in Indiana in the Midwest, and my mom would put out this porcelain turkey, and in this porcelain turkey was a bowl of Reese's Pieces. And before my family would come over, my sister and I would finish almost the entire bowl before the family would come over. And so every year I was always thankful for that candy. And what's funny enough is I just asked my toddler Jasper what he was thankful for, and he said candy. So... Luckily, over the years, what I'm grateful for has evolved and changed, and now I'm thankful for things like my family, my job, having a roof over my head. Uh, And so it's interesting how the things change, right, that we're thankful for. We're not always thankful for the same things. And as people, we're not always thankful for the same things, although there are some commonalities. I'd like to show a map uh, that Facebook put out. I have Chris Miles here. He works for Facebook, so I'm sure he's seen this. And it shows us what the number one thing is each state is thankful for. And I thought there were some interesting things on here and some strange things as well. Um, So you have uh, Louisiana, who's thankful for rainbows, okay? Um, We have Wisconsin and Missouri for thunderstorms. I I, I hate rain and thunderstorms, I'm not sure about that. But the most curious to me was New York, uh, apartments. We pay, we're the second highest expensive city for rent with the lowest amount of square feet. So I'm not sure why that's the number one thing. Maybe we're thankful that we found an apartment because it can be really challenging. Uh, so the next slide, it's going to show a bar graph. And this is all the top things rated that we're thankful for. So at number one, you have friends, which was curious that that's above family. But I guess in New York, we can relate to that, right? Because we don't have a lot of family here, most of us. Um, A couple other things that I thought were interesting was that uh, husband and children were a little bit farther down the list. And one thing that I found that is completely missing from this graph is wife. Maybe I'm going to assume it's right below music, right? So it's going to be there in the mix. (laughs) Now, of course, this is silly, but I wanted us to get an idea of the things that all of us tend to have in common uh, when we look back at what we're grateful for and what we're thankful for. And have you ever noticed the small ways in New York City that we tend to help each other out and show our gratitude? Uh, I was thinking about how this happens in the day-to-day life. Uh, And there are times when, uh, I'm sure you can all relate to this, where you're rushing to get somewhere, and there's a set of double doors in the office buildings. And what will happen is even though I'm rushing, because it's become such a common uh, action of courtesy for people in our culture, Um, You know, I'll notice that someone's coming up behind me when I'm going in the door, right? So I'll open the door and hold it for them. And then usually, unless you're one of those people who lets the door slam in their face, um, the next person would hold the door for me. And we do this for each other, even though we're both probably hurrying and in a rush. And this kind of gratitude is something simple. It's referred to as reciprocity uh, gratitude. And so I have a little uh, picture here of what that looks like. And... What happens is you have the benefactor who is giving a gift to the beneficiary, and the beneficiary thereby is doing an act of service or giving a gift in return. 
Now, this kind of gratitude um, is something that is a little bit different than what we're used to. This is something that is usually um, required. So you feel obligated to give something in return, right? It's not the kind of thing where you just are giving to give. It's something where someone gives something to you, and because they gave, you feel like you need to give back in return. And the reason why I bring this up is because I've been reading a book written by Diana Butler Bass, and she talks about different kinds of gratitude, and this is the first one. Um, and it really, uh, if you've ever done a secret Santa, anyone ever do a secret Santa here? Anyone? I hate to burst your bubble. That's an example of reciprocity gratitude, right? You spend uh, money, you usually have a budget of about $25. You're going to buy something uh, for someone who assigned to you to give to that person. And, you know, let's say you end up getting a pair of gloves and you're all excited because it was a secret and you got this pair of gloves and then you get to Christmas and your family's gotten you two or three pairs of gloves so now you don't know what you're going to do with them. Um, and the reason why this becomes reciprocal is because you're obligated, right? You put in your pool of money, someone gave you a gift, and then, someone, and then you're giving to someone in return. There's a story... Uh, that Sam Knowlton shared on Facebook, and some of you may have seen this, it went viral, and it was from a local writer in Brooklyn who was talking about uh, an example of gratitude that he saw in the city. And what happened was he was at Grand Central, and he was going to City Field, and he got on the 7 train, and this man who was erratic stepped onto the train and pushed this man in front of him, and he said, my man's going to JFK Kennedy. Anybody else got this? Y'all got this? And everyone was confused, and they look at the man, and they quickly realize he didn't speak English. And so they're trying to figure out what's going on, and he says, y'all got this. My man's going to JFK. And the guy stepped back onto the platform and left the other man there. And what happened was everybody on the train immediately started talking to him, figured out where he was going, made sure he, uh, they confirmed that his route was where he was going to the correct airport. They found another guy who's going to be transferring to the E-train who could make sure he got to where he was going and get to the airport. We get a bad rap uh, from a lot of people that New Yorkers are rude and we don't help each other. And I thought this was a really cool example of just a quick way that someone's saying thank you, right? This has become part of our culture. This is a way that we take time out of rushing to where we're going to be able to show a small act of gratitude. And so this morning, I want to think a little bit deeper about what gratitude can look like. And... If we go all the way back to ancient times, we had Aristotle and Seneca who said, gratitude is a divine virtue and a communal necessity. And what happened uh, back in those times was that gratitude was something that was required. It became something where you were expected to get. People didn't have a lot to give, and if you did give, people were expecting that the reason why they were giving is because you're going to give me something back. So if I give you land, you're going to give me money. If I... Um, give you something, then you're going to give back to me in return. And today, because Advent is approaching, I want to talk about Christ's birth, so we're going to dive deep into that story. Um, and I'm sure some of you have taken Latin here in high school. Uh, there's this term called quid pro quo, which means something for something in English. And quid pro quo is a terrible thing, right? But it really informed the culture when Jesus was born, the Jewish and Roman culture. And it was really something that people lived by. Today, quid pro quo uh, in the professional world is actually considered sexual harassment. Um, some of you may have uh, seen this in training in your workplace. Uh, but if somebody is uh, you know, 
holding employment over your head or pay and only giving it to you for sexual favors, that is an example of quid pro quo. If you're in an apartment and your landlord is charging you for renovations and they're taking your gratuity off the top of that, that's known as a kickback, that is quid pro quo. And so what we see here is that quid pro quo was happening every day in the culture when Jesus was born. Can you imagine what life would have looked like for those people when you're trying to live your life, what gifts may have looked like? Would you even know what a gift is or would gift mean something different to those people? So we're gonna take a look at Luke 2, 16 through 20 on the screen. What was happening here is Herod had sent the wise men to visit Mary and Joseph. And we know that the reason why Herod sent them, of course, it was a power move. It was very much a quid pro quo thing. Herod was sending the wise men because he saw Jesus as a threat. He had heard of the Messiah, and he was sending them away um, to go and find Jesus so that he could eventually be killed or capture him or do something terrible with him, right? And what we see here in the story is that the shepherds were going to spread the word concerning everything that they had seen. And the verse I want us to focus on is 19, which is in italics. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the reason why I want us to focus on that verse is because the wise men came and gave gifts, right, to Jesus. We know that they came bearing uh, these things that they were giving to a Jewish family and a manger who was poor and had nowhere else to go. This was unheard of. Okay, and this is radical, and this is why I want us to focus on this. Because in this culture, this did not happen. You did not have people who were of royalty, who uh, worked for the king, who would go and give gifts to common poor people. This was absolutely not going to happen. And so when we look at this verse, what's actually happening here, I think, is that Mary is thinking about all these things that's happened to them. They're getting praise from the shepherds. They have the wise men who are coming and giving them gifts. And there's another translation that says, Mary was keeping within herself all these things, things being gifts, and Mary's the recipient, and pondering them in her heart. Could it be that these radical gifts uh, from the wise men, the gifts of praise from the shepherds, might be what she's pondering? This doesn't just bend the rules of systematic gratitude. And what I mean by systematic gratitude is the culture of giving so that you can get of the quid pro quo culture, this is absolutely snapping it in half. And what happens later in Jesus's ministry, we're gonna be looking at uh, some additional scriptures in Luke, is that this is absolutely foreshadowing how Jesus approaches gratitude. So Luke 17, 11 through 19, Jesus is going to heal 10 men with leprosy. I'm sure you've all seen this story before. All the ten, lep- 10 lepers are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Jesus told them to go show themselves before the priest. They didn't go to a bar or a brothel or to gamble. They listened to what Jesus said. They, Jesus was the benefactor. They were the beneficiary receiving the gift. And what happens is nine of the men who were Jewish were used to the culture of giving and getting. They were not used to knowing what to do when someone who, a teacher of Jesus, someone with high authority, is giving to them. They didn't know how to respond with gratitude. And what we see is that a Samaritan, an outsider, an alien, is going to Jesus, falling before him, and saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you've done. And Jesus, as we know, 
takes this opportunity to show that gratitude doesn't have to be expected, earned, or done out of privilege. Jesus is teaching them that this is the new model of gratitude. Gifts can be just that, gifts, and then true gratitude can follow, and we can break that cycle of systematic gratitude. Now, during our Racing Shame series, that I know most of you were probably here for, uh, we know that Jonathan told the story of the woman who came in, the sinful woman, to the party with the Pharisees and fell before Jesus and kissed his feet. And how did Jesus respond there? Jesus said, what did you do for me? This woman came and praised me and gave me thanks and washed my feet. And Jonathan said it best when he says, what we see in the gospel is that every single time Jesus restores physical intimacy and eradicates shame. And I don't think that it's, uh, that it's tough to say or even impossible to think that every single time Jesus is taking an opportunity to show people that they can have radical gratitude and to affirm what they've done for Jesus. And we see this countless times in scripture with Jesus' followers, with his disciples, with the disciples' families, with the people who choose to follow him. They are breaking the cycle of reciprocal gratitude and showing what it means to live by a new law and with Jesus' teaching of love and thank- thankfulness. So what does this mean for us? What it means is that gratitude is no longer about giving so that we can get something in return. And it's no longer about showing gratitude to someone because we think we have to or because it's expected. You know, I used to think that I had to find my gratitude. I thought that gratitude was something that I had to really ponder and reflect on and think, what is it in my life that I'm thankful for? Um, And what I've found over the course of time is that it's something you really have to cultivate. It's something that um, isn't just about the high moments in my life, but it's about finding wholeness. It's about the highs and lows and the peaks and valleys and looking back at the entire picture to be able to find what I'm grateful for in my life. I know many of you, um, you know, have probably had times in your life where you can't find that thankfulness or what it is that you're grateful for. Before we go any further with this, I want to make sure that it's understood that we don't need to be thankful that bad things have happened to us, because I think that is probably actually unhealthy. But we can be absolutely thankful for the lessons that we've learned because of the bad things that have happened to us. Theologian Henry Nouwen describes what this looks like beautifully when he says, to be grateful for the good things that happen in our lives is easy, but to be grateful for all of our lives, the good as well as the bad, the moments of joy as well as the moments of sorrow, the successes as well as the failures, the rewards as well as the rejections, that requires hard spiritual work. Still, we are only truly grateful when we can say thank you to all that has brought us to this present moment. As long as we keep dividing our lives between events and people we would like to remember and those we would rather forget, we cannot claim the fullness of our beings as a gift of God to be grateful for. Some of you were here when Lanicia Ruse Tinsley came and spoke to us uh, during our series about Be the Light, and she spoke on grief. And some of you may have even attended the workshop that she did. And I have to say that when she came and she shared her message of her personal story of grief and how she was able to come up on the other side after years of this, And being able to see and understand how the fullness of grief helps you become a whole person and how important it is to go through that, it was exactly what I needed to hear. 
You see, in July, we had some great friends of ours uh, come and stay with us in Brooklyn. We hadn't seen them for a few years. Uh, their names are Sophie and Jason, and they had two kids, Elena and Josiah, uh, who are 10 and 12 years old. And they came and uh, visited with us and stayed, and we took them to Coney Island, and our kids rode on rides together. And we went to Nathan's Hot Dog and had amazing food, and we just had a blast. It was Absolutely a time where none of us had any concerns. There were no problems going on in our lives, and we were just enjoying each other's company. But while Jason was here, he noticed that he wasn't feeling too well. Um, We didn't think it was anything major, but, you know, he decided that when he would be returning home to Atlanta, he would go and get it checked out. So when he got home, he went to the doctor, and they realized that something a little more serious was going on. And after a few tests... Uh, it turns out that he had stage four pancreatic cancer that literally came out of nowhere. And with this, it was shock, right? This wasn't something that came on slowly. This wasn't something we could warm ourselves up to. We were stunned and shocked with grief. And Jason uh, went to the doctors for more appointments, and they originally gave him um, a sentence of six months of living and diagnosed him uh, for only being able to live for that amount of time. And after going back in and out of the doctors a couple times, um, it realized that that wasn't going to be correct, that uh, he was actually going to probably live a little bit shorter than that. Four weeks later, Jason passed. And my wife went and flew to be at the funeral for him. And Jason, to give you a little bit of background on on who he is, um, married Maggie and I. We stood before him and said our vows, and he was Maggie's youth pastor, and he encouraged her to go to college. Uh, She was the only person in her family who's pursued her bachelor degree, and he encouraged her to date me, which, of course, I'm happy about. (laughs) And we went through all those stages of grief. We felt the anger, the frustration, the denial, the bargaining, all of it. And it was exactly what I needed to hear when Lenicia was here. And in the midst of my grief... I couldn't help but feeling immense gratitude for this man who was the kindest guy I've ever known. And I can never repay him for what he's done in my life. Diana Butler Bass says that our emotional lives are like a garden. And to find wholeness and to be whole people, we need to tend to the weeds in our lives to get the roses. And we need to be able to, to be able to cultivate it and to be able to get rid of all the bad stuff so that we can find the good because if we don't make space, if we don't do the job of cultivating and getting rid of those weeds and pruning so that we can make room for growth, then we're not going to find our way out. And so this morning, I want us to think about how gratitude looks in our lives and about how, when you become whole, you can really truly find what it is that you're thankful for and how your gratitude can lead you to your thanks and your giving. Can you imagine what would happen if we all were able to start sharing more daily on the regular what we're grateful for? 
a lot of us here, you guys, it's hard. This is not easy. I mean, on the daily, I take steps, I don't know about you, to filter through all the news and all the things that I'm ingesting every day because it tends to be bad. It tends to be stuff uh, always coming into us of, like, what's going wrong and all the injustices in the world. Um, and a lot of us here care about justice. We care about making things right. And to be able to get to those places and to be able to keep fighting, we have to know what it is that we're grateful for in our lives, right? I mean, when I think about why I want to fight justice and why I want to be able to take up these social causes that we, that we do, it's because I know that injustice isn't the end, and it's because I know that Jesus teaches us that we need to fight for these things and that there is something worth getting up for every single day. And to do that, we need to know why we're grateful. On Twitter, uh, LGBTQ activist Parker Malloy maintains a nightly thankfulness thread. And uh, every day she'll go in and post, post a picture of her dog or her having dinner with her partner or the weather. And she's very vocal politically on Twitter, uh, but this grounds her in her spirituality and it grounds her in her causes and what she's fighting for to be able to reflect every single day and know why she's doing it. And as a church, I'm going to ask that we become more aware of our gratitude and that we begin to tend to our emotional garden so that we can cultivate it in a healthy way. It can be incorporated into your daily prayer, into journaling, or really just sharing with someone, you know, this is why I'm thankful. And I really like what the Roman Catholic monastic order of which Pope Francis is a member does to reflect on their gratitude. They have a practice called the examine, which uh, is in Latin and English that's translated to examination. And it involves praying at night and reviewing your day with a five-step process. Here's what this looks like. One, become aware of God's presence. Two, review the day with gratitude. Three, pay attention to your emotions. Four, choose one feature of the day and pray for it. Five, look forward to tomorrow. Doesn't this sound nice? So instead of just randomly recalling what we're thankful for once a year, it becomes a daily activity and can become something that we're a part of when we start to really understand why we're doing this, why we're thankful for our faith, why we're thankful for our family and our friends and all these things that we might list out. This morning, I'd like to share why I'm thankful for Forefront. And I would describe my gratitude for Forefront coming from an extremely deep place of gratitude that's undeniable. It's tied to my sense of belonging. And there's so many reasons why me and my family are thankful for Forefront, but I'd like to focus on three biggies. The first being spiritual growth. We've been coming here 11 years, really since Forefront started in Manhattan and helped plant this church. And the spiritual growth that I've seen is we've become a progressive and uh, thriving LGBTQ affirming church is amazing. And to get to this place and be able to say here that, that all that has happened over this course of time is amazing and I love it and I'm so excited to be a part of it that I want to talk about it all the time. That's why I love you guys, and I love that we, we come here and we fight for these causes together, and we post them on social media, and we go to rallies, we go to protests, and we do all these things. I am so thankful for the ways in which we've been able to take our faith from where it started as a church to where it is today. The second one is diversity. I am so proud to be a part of this community that affirms and welcomes people who are from different political backgrounds, sexual backgrounds, uh, religious backgrounds, and racial backgrounds. We are a diverse group of people. I have been to a lot of churches, and we are so diverse, and so not just welcoming, affirming, but there's a big difference there. So I'm thankful for this community and the ways in which we embrace our diversity. The third thing 
is our small groups. I am so thrilled to be able to coach our small group leaders. I've been a part of small groups since we started attending Forefront. And if y'all aren't part of one, you gotta get in because they are amazing. I've never been stretched and pulled in my spiritual walk with God as much as I have in my small group. The conversations that I've had uh, late into the night um, have been some of the most important conversations I've literally had in my life, and I don't take that lightly. So thank you if you are in small groups, and if you're not, you gotta sign up for one today because they will change your life. Because of this gratitude that I have for our church, I respond with thanksgiving by being a deacon for our community, by coaching small groups, and by giving financially to our church. So this morning, I'm going to have our small group leaders, a few of them, come up. And what happened was I pulled all of our small group members over the last two weeks and asked them, why are you thankful for Forefront? And so the the small group leaders are going to come up this morning during communion, and they're going to share why they're thankful for Forefront. And what I want you to do is to listen and to reflect on why you're thankful for our church. And when you reflect on what you're thankful for, I'd like for you to think about how you can respond with thanksgiving to our community. I'd like to end on a quote from Diana Butler Bass that reads, if we all shared our stories of thanks, our words would no doubt invoke memories of gratitude in others. For all its uniqueness and complexity, there is a common core to feeling grateful. We recognize a circumstance, event, or situation, even if it's a trial, as a gift. We have received some unexpected benefit. We respond with words and actions, and we become our best selves in the process. Gifts are not only pleasurable, but the right gift at the right time can change us. When such gifts arrive, we know it. Something deep within rises to the surface, that mixture of love and appreciation we call thanks. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for this community. Um, Thank you that we are a welcoming, affirming, diverse church of people who love you and who want to continue to be in conversation about how we can be grateful for our lives, about how we can grieve in our lives, and about how we can become whole people. Thank you for this holiday, for giving us time to relax with our families and loved ones. I pray that we would go out today and respond in Thanksgiving. In your name I pray. Amen.